Hey, it's Arlene Bunn and filling in for Alex Pearson on On Point. And today on the podcast, the feds announce $10 billion for infrastructure across the country. What does that mean for Ontario? We're joined by Lori Scott, the Minister of Infrastructure, to find out. Then is the answer to keeping restaurants in Canada afloat this winter, outdoor patios? We're going to speak to an expert from the Restaurants Canada Association to get his take. And after that, the healthcare system in Canada being transformed for the better. What about physicians and their health due to COVID? We're going to find out. Let's begin. For Alex Pearson, I'm Arlene Bynan. And here we go. One of the big announcements that trickles down into the province of Ontario, the Liberal government announcing $10 billion today that they're going to spend on infrastructure to try to fuel this pandemic economy recovery. We were waiting for this from the speech from the throne because we had all these danglings of they're going to go a little bit more green with a green economy. And some of that stuff is in this infrastructure announcement. And you know, it is also coming through a new refurbished Canada Infrastructure Bank. Now, the Conservatives say this may just be a waste of money. Let's get some reaction from an Ontario perspective. Joining us is the Ontario Minister of Infrastructure, Lori Scott. Lori, welcome. How are you? I'm well, thank you. And I hope everyone's well out there today. Everything is great. I got to tell you, though, you know, when we hear about this spending plan, have not the federal liberals announced some other infrastructure plans that we don't know what happened to all that money? (laughs) That's a really good question. So today's announcement, I'm very encouraged and I'm hopeful that this is a step in the right direction and money does flow. Uh, you know, for me, the $2 billion in infrastructure for broadband connectivity is um, the biggest hopefulness that I, I see within that uh, plan from the Canadian Infrastructure Bank. You know, I, I continue in the, working with Minister McKenna to get uh, our infrastructure, especially broadband, uh, ready to go as quickly as possible because, as you know, Arlene, it's, uh, you know, mm-hmm. it's important. Uh, issue for everyone, especially since COVID, right? We've got to get more houses uh, connected up to better not only uh, cell phone uh, connectivity, but also to a better degree of uh, and higher speeds of broadband. We are, you know, all now living uh, from our homes more, accessing school, government services. It, it's a different world that we live in now, and that's highlighted the need or more infrastructure into broadband. So, you know, e-commerce is is here uh, and it's in our homes more than ever. And we need to have uh, broadband connectivity across the province and across Canada from coast to coast. This is a huge issue. And and we've got to nail this down. And we have heard this before, though. I mean, Canadians have gotten really excited from the Atlantic provinces all across our country and certainly parts of Ontario. And it's always been amazing, and I'm sure it's structured, how hard it is to do that $2 billion. Is there a sense from the pandemic, with the pressure on the economy, that this will be money that has an outcome? I hope so. Well, it's <laughs> in the right direction. It's really... The challenges are not only in rural Ontario, but they are also, you know, you don't have to go very far outside an area and you have challenges on activity. So, you know, the federal government uh, needs to come to the table with 
the province of Ontario to get it uh, get us connected, get it done. Uh, as you know, it, it's a federally regulated um, sector, so that is why uh, we need the federal government to properly fund it. You know, Arlene, we're talking billions of dollars just for the province of Ontario. What was announced today uh, with the Canadian Infrastructure Bank is a loan. And so I have worked with the telecommunications companies, with the local municipalities, and it's the number one app coming out of all our municipalities across the province, is the investment in broadband. So we need that federal uh, government to be the third partner with us to make things happen. And we've got to get to every house can in the province of Ontario. I know this is a priority for Premier Ford because nothing can make more of a difference in people's lives and connect right now so that we can all live, learn, uh, work from home, buy our groceries online. And, you know, we can say broadband. There's nothing greater than broadband. So that's it's green in infrastructure 100%. So Ontario is ready. We're doing everything we can. We know where we need to go to build this. And we are happy with this announcement today, but we know that we'll we'll need more. We'll need to work more, and uh, we need to do it as fast as we can. So there's no bigger priority I work on every day than connecting more people, more houses up to broadband. There's also a lot of money being put aside, two and a half billion dollars for clean power. You know, we were we had some idea that this was going to happen as we waited for the speech from the throne. And now we're getting a little bit more of a vision of how it could be rolled out. We've got, as we've just discussed, broadband. Then we have clean power and we've had a shake up at the bank as well. A real movement forward. Um, is there... A, a sense that the Liberals realize that a lot depends on this. There has been criticism against the federal government that uh, perhaps the Prime Minister made promises that didn't always come true. He would not be the first politician that people ask those questions of. But it's very, very different now. As you've just outlined here, we have a pandemic that is driving the economy. Is there a sense now we have a, a vision on how to get out of here? Uh, we're hoping on a provincial letter, uh, level, Premier Ford has been working with Christian Freeland, the Deputy Prime Minister. I've been working with Minister McKenna. You know, uh, the energy ministers have been working together. There is a willingness to get uh, appropriate dollars with transparency out the door to help uh, mm-hmm. the provinces build up. And you know, technology has changed as we have seen, you know, approval to uh, be done on a, on a quicker time frame, not only with clean technology. All right. With the, te- with the challenges of technology, we're losing you, Lori, out there in... Oh, no. Uh, oh, no. Yeah, in cell phone land. And I so... I really thoroughly your viewers, many of them live the challenges I live. Uh, yeah, well, that just makes it even more poignant. But I'd, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Have a good day, everyone. All right, you too. Laurie Scott, Ontario Minister of Infrastructure. And there he goes. We're talking about broadband, broadband and cell phone. What do we do? We lose her. We have all seen this movie before.
We've got changes as we, we are into this second wave. How are we handling it? It's not our first go. However, you know, it is it is a very tough thing if you're a business. You know, if you're running your own business, we all know anybody with any experience, it is a very volatile but passionate project. And then, and then the virus struck through no fault of your own. Now, Toronto has imposed stricter rules on restaurants and bars, lowering their capacity. They were just trying to get over the first hump. How are they, how are they reacting and what can they do? James Roulette is Restaurants Canada's Vice President of Central Canada. James, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Good evening. Thanks a lot. It's tough. What are they doing now that they have to deal with another set of restrictions? Are they prepared to do it? Well, uh, I guess they'll have to be. Uh, restaurants, uh, they've dealt with a lot of things uh, over the last six months. So um, we'll regroup and see how, how to do it, how it will work. Um, the uh, contact tracing will take a little more staff training. Um, some people have to look at their business plans if they're going to have uh, fewer people in the in the restaurants. So um, it's going to take a little doing, but uh, they'll start, start to adjust whenever they can. So they are. Are they getting resilient about this? And is, is are, are there some businesses who look like they can handle this better than others? Oh, definitely there's some can handle it better than others. Um, it all depends. The main thing is how much debt load you've, you've accumulated over the last six months. Um, that that basically depends what or shows whether you can uh, live or survive or, or keep uh, going. Um, it's it's the biggest thing if you can if you own your restaurant that makes a difference because you don't have to pay rent. Um, and if you've set up a, have a setup where you have alternate revenue sources like takeout, um, like uh, take home um, meal kits, uh, groceries. People are looking at all different ways to uh, to make revenue now. Now, you know, this is survival of the fittest in the restaurant industry. It's got to be. Are some of these just getting incorporated into a business plan with no end in sight? Because clearly um, people have to be looking at their business in a completely different way. Yeah, especially the independents. They're starting to look at Am I able to keep going, and am I just throwing good money after bad? I think that's the the what people are looking at now. Um, people are trying to decide whether they put their own personal savings into the business uh, just to keep it afloat. Um, so I think with this next shutdown, there you're, you're going to see people start to make the decision whether they can continue or not. You know, one of the ideas being floated around the mayor of Toronto is suggesting restaurants open outside all year round. It's not a bad idea. You know, if you go to Collingwood or some ski resorts, they've got outdoor fires and it's uh, kind of unique to sit outside in the snow and have a drink. And perhaps this could be a wave of the future. Are they getting that creative, James? Yeah, some people definitely are. Uh, you already see some restaurants that have outdoor spaces in the winter. Um, I, I don't know how how widespread that can be. We were at a restaurant on, uh, on the Danforth the other day, and once it got a little windy, people started moving inside. So um, we're hardy people, but uh, I don't know how long uh, Canadians will want to sit out on a patio. So... Well, they'll adjust as well as they can. Hopefully the, the city allows them to build some sort of structures right now uh, that's restricted uh, 
that you can whether you can cover a patio or put up sidewalls in a patio. So those types of things might might help a bit. Um, but the bottom line is uh, government support's going to be needed for the for the foreseeable future. And there you have government support. We know airline industry is asking for money and restaurants are part of it. They're part of our life. What do we do? Because James, how how big of a risk we are. We've seen what survive um, the first hit from this hurricane as it landed and made land. But now we're going to get another one and we don't know who can cling on and hang on. Yeah, that's true. It, unfortunately, it's going to be the small independents that uh, that are the first wave of uh, of casualties. Uh, it's uh, we've already started to see it. About twelve percent of restaurants have already closed, um, and most of those are independents. Um, I was just talking to our economists today, and uh, our industry's still down, even with, mm-hmm. with the mild recovery. It's still down about 21%, which is by far the hardest-hit industry. Even even the airline industry is only down about 17%. So it's a tough time right now. You know, who's going to make it? Are you looking at the people? You know, you just said the small independents, and that broke my heart when you said it because we know they're the ones with the guts and the creativity and hey it's great with the chains and the the money behind them but they're not a lot of the restaurants where our heart goes out to may i just be honest i mean (laughs) you know what i mean i mean these people have passion they want to serve us they're out there they know us and they're they're almost like family yeah, and that's you know what if I don't want to be totally bad news because in our last survey, I, one of the mm-hmm. things that people said about eighty six percent of the pe- people said uh, what they like about restaurants is is they add to your their neighborhood and they're they're part of the community. So mm-hmm. that makes me leads me to believe leave, gives me some hope that uh, the small neighborhood uh, restaurant that you you're able to walk to that you bring your kids to all the time that. They might survive just because people decide that they want. Yeah, to make people, sure we're going to get out there and we're going to say, "Hey, you're you're part of us. We're going to help you." James Roulette, thank you for joining us. You have a great night. Thank you. You too. Thank you. We're learning so much in this pandemic and finding cracks that we need to fill. Do we fill them with dirt? Do we fill them with cement? <laughs> But we know that there are certain things about our society and the way we fight this virus that need to be cared for. Is physician care part of that? There is a new survey that shows that Canadians are more connected with their health care system. And it shows that a majority of Canadians believe this pandemic has transformed our health care system in Canada. Joining us is Dr. Samantha Hill, president of the Ontario Medical Association, also a cardiac surgeon. Thank you, Dr. Hill, for being here. Thank you so much for inviting me, Arlene. All right. How do you think that Canadians have changed their impression of the health care system? So I think that when you live through a global pandemic, it changes how you see everything, whether it's healthcare, education system, or just your day-to-day life. But being worried about your healthcare and seeing what has happened in other countries and other places, it certainly has shown a light, as we like to say, on one of those true Canadian values, which is access to healthcare and not necessarily needing to bankrupt yourself in order to stay healthy. It's true. You know, I can't I can't think of how many times people have said to me, I look at the United States and I I feel for those people who worry. Do you hear that a lot? 
I do. I do hear that a lot. I hear that people are exceptionally grateful for the care that they're receiving right now, even with the challenges that are present. So with the switch and the transition to virtual care, there's a bit of a disconnect from your doctor. And we know that we feel the same way. Um, You know, you can't shake hands, you can't make eye contact the same way, and it doesn't feel the same. But despite that, Knowing that your doctor is there for you, knowing that you can reach out to them and talk to them about the cold symptoms that you've been having and your worries about asthma and the things that you're experiencing that have nothing to do with COVID but are part of your regular health care, we are lucky to live in that system. We are. And how is this manifesting itself? What do Canadians want to be added? I know the survey went hand in hand with a with an infusion of money to help the mental and the wellness of those who take care of others. Is that the good sign in this? I think it's a great sign. Physicians have been struggling with burnout for a little bit longer than has been on the public radar. It's one of those active issues that has spread through the U.S. and is spreading through Canada as well. And we know that it's related to the systemic challenges that we face. It's not about the acute stresses. We we are trained to and we deal well with the medical stress of work that we do. It's about having to spend equal amounts of time or more entering data as opposed to caring for patients. It's about feeling stretched in order to care for those patients by a system that doesn't allow you to give them what they really need because often what they need isn't a prescription, but it's some social work or a job or life counseling. And frankly, our system just isn't set up right now to facilitate that. So we've moved over the last several decades from hospital-based care to community care. And that was very deliberate to let us have better access to health care. And frankly, it's more efficient and it's more effective, but it doesn't address everything that's coming up as people get older, as life gets more complicated, as technology evolves and there's more options. And frankly, you know, I've talked about it before in other channels, but in the absence of support for that community infrastructure, physicians are really struggling right now. You know, I, I, along with a lot of other people in this business, have had conversations with physicians as it was breaking and as we got into it. And I got to say, in all my life, I've never had those kind of interviews with physicians. You could hear it. You could smell it. They were honest. They were wandering. They were at war and in a war that that all of a sudden there were times where they realized they didn't have any weapons or all the weapons that they would need. How much has this shaken those who are in the medical profession? It, it has shaken us pretty hard, to be honest. Um, so doctors have always and will always continue to show up for their patients. It's what, it's what we do. It's what drives us day in, day out. And it's part of our internal network, so to speak. But, you know, given the current state with what's going on with the challenges around the backlog of care and wait times for COVID swabs and flu vaccines and how we're going to deliver those effectively, doctors, as always, are ready and they're willing to step up and caring for patients and working collaboratively with government. But we do need the same support that all of our other allied healthcare professional colleagues are receiving. And when that support isn't freely offered or isn't offered at all despite requests and begging at times for help. We're asking for help to to carry the system through this, this biggest medical pandemic and global pandemic of our, of our lives. Hopefully Um, it's hard to feel like you carry the weight of an entire healthcare system on your shoulders. 
It is. Our our physicians, you know, cracking under the way, you know, let's be honest. I mean, I've, I've talked to some. I, I was brought to tears by one interview I did on the station with just following a, a physician who was couldn't see her patients, and it was... It was such a heartbreaking story. And then to know, you know, we were all stressed out and finding the physicians had all the same stresses that we did, only they had to mask up and get in there. And there was a time where you didn't even have enough masks. Yep. Are are there some who've, who have a few casualties here? Well, for sure there are casualties, and those casualties may be the extreme that people think about, but it's also just the toll that it takes on you um, as an individual, as a healthcare provider, the ability to go and to give your best every day as a physician, it's, again, it's what drives us. It's, it's the most important thing to all of us. And when you're worried about being able to keep your clinic open, when you're worried about whether or not your pregnant patients will have access to care, when you're worried about, as a surgeon, the patients who are lingering on a wait list that you've met and that you feel an obligation to that you've connected with, you know, we're not in any way oblivious to people's pain. We are empathic by nature and it hurts when our patients hurt. And it's frustrating when we think we have some of the solutions and we can't enact them. And when you put all of that pain and all of that frustration together, you really do see more and more physicians struggling to to pull themselves together and, and brace yeah. the fight for another day. And as we go into the second wave of COVID, you know, I, I keep reminding my colleagues that we're in this together, that none of us are standing alone. And frankly, I think that's the message that has kept most of us going this far. Do you feel supported? You know, do you feel that the public is, is behind you? We've also seen we've also seen people say, well, what do they know? The experts, there's, there's this online, this is right, this is not disinformation, I don't have to tell you. That wasn't mm-hmm. always there, but all those stresses have been there. How's that added to everything you're saying? There's an adage that someone told me once about how everyone trusts their doctor, but no one trusts doctors in general. Yeah. Um, and at times like this, it, it resonates because, you know, you have a relationship with your doctor and you trust them to do the best by you. And over the years, usually the physician has managed to demonstrate that they do indeed know what they're doing and have your best interest in heart. Um, and there's a relationship there. But it is interesting how when you talk to friends who aren't medical about mask wearing or you remind people about six-foot distancing or you tell a certain cohort that gathering in their houses is a bad idea, how eyes roll and people are claimed to be hypervigilant or overly stressed or... Mm-hmm. Hysterical. <laughs> I've heard hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> and honestly, when, when you're the one who gets to go in and leave your kids behind and leave your family behind and put on full PPE gear, and that's not just gloves and masks, it's face shield and layers of PPE so that you can walk into a patient's room who's having trouble breathing and help them with a breathing tube, and you sit by their side to make sure that they're out of the woods, and sometimes they aren't, but you get sacrificed all of your personal safety to do that and all of your connections at home. I know physicians who didn't go home for weeks. Yeah. And, you know, you can't 
physicians are people. We are people, and at the end of the day, they need that same support that everyone else needs right now. These are challenging times for everyone. We are all Ontarians in the world, really, in this together, and we really have to find our way forward towards a new normal, a new way of interacting, and frankly, a new way of supporting each other. You know, even within the medical community, let's look to the United States, because we do. And we've seen in the United States physicians who are part of that eye rolling that seem to be playing into the politics. And I've I've never seen a, a moment where we've looked at physicians and thought, all right, you know, where are they coming from? And, and they're people, too, as you say. So sometimes the calls are coming from within the house. Yeah. And, you know, I always, with all due respect to the media, I always take what I hear through the media with a grain of salt when they say a physician said this or a physician said that. Um, Oftentimes, things are quoted a little out of context or, um, you know, it it makes for a better story if it it reads a certain way sometimes. And frankly, that doesn't always help with trying to control the hysteria in the public and trying to grant clear messaging. And yeah, physicians aren't always going to agree, especially when you're on the cutting edge of science with a virus no one's ever seen before. You know, we we will follow the evidence and we'll all wind up in the same place at the end because that's where the evidence will point us to. But our path to get there will be a little different. All right. Thank you for a wonderful conversation. We really appreciate it. Dr. Samantha Hill, president of the Ontario Medical Association, also a cardiac surgeon. Thank you, Dr. Hill. You take care. We all appreciate it. We really do. Stay safe out there. That's the podcast for today. You can hear On Point live on the radio Monday through Friday, 630 to 10 p.m. I'm Arlene Bynan filling in for Alex Pearson.